Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. From KYW News Radio, the Delaware Valley's news authority, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg, and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Coming up... The debate over police transparency. We take it to the streets of Philadelphia. I think transparency is a good thing. They're getting away with murder. It's important to keep things confidential. Nothing wrong with protesting, but I think they picked the wrong place. As advocates from all sides hash out whether and when names of police involved in deadly shootings should be made public. That officer's name should not be released. We do not care about officers who kill people. The lawsuit by the FOP and the protest that started it all. He's the new head of Philadelphia Police Department's homicide unit. Main thing is to get the killers off the streets. His biggest challenges when trying to track down a killer. All this and more, but first a break, then traffic. Welcome back to Flashpoint. The focus this week is the debate over police transparency. The Philadelphia Police Department has a rule that requires the release of the names of officers involved in deadly shootings within 72 hours. In June, Officer Ryan Pownall shot David Jones in the back during a car stop, killing him. And last month, Black Lives Matter protested outside of Pownall's home as political pressure to charge the officer got heated. We want justice or else we're going into neighborhood. This is where the pig cop lives. Soon after, the Philadelphia Fraternal Order of Police filed a lawsuit seeking to stop the department's release of names. They also held a counter rally. Here's FOP head John McNesby. When you go to work each day, you shouldn't have to worry that a pack of rabid animals will suddenly show up at your home. A judge granted the FOP's request temporarily, and this week, a judge will hear the case. State Rep. Martina White introduced House Bill 27, which would shield officers' name for 30 days or until after an investigation it's complete. Powell is currently suspended from the department with an intent to fire. With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint in the news is Isaac Gardner of the Justice for David Jones Coalition, retired veteran police officer Rochelle Bilal, who is president of the Guardian Civic League, and Benjamin Manis, a public safety and security advisor and also a former member of law enforcement. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Wonderful. Pleasure to be here. Should police departments release the names of officers involved in deadly shootings? Yes, they should. Uh, For transparency's sake, I haven't heard... Anybody ever threaten a police officer just because they knew who their name is? You're not trying to hide nothing for people. You want them to know this is the person involved in the shooting. We are investigating it. And whatever comes out of the investigation, it is what it is. So let's not cover up. Isaac, your thoughts? I agree wholeheartedly, 100%. If officers shoot someone, ultimately leading to the death, especially the officer needs to be identified. As you can see, just with the Justice for David Jones situation, once the officer was revealed, a lot of people came forward and said, well, he did this to me. Some cops have history of abusing people, 
brutalizing people and not doing their job correctly. So we need to know who they are, what they're doing, and what they've done. Benjamin, what's your point of view on this? The question at hand is should they be identified before any adjudicative process is happening? And the answer I have to that is absolutely not. To address Rochelle's point, there actually have been issues when Darren Wilson shot Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. He received death threats almost at a constant basis, and because everyone knew his name, he wasn't able to function even after being cleared. All we're asking for with House Bill 27 is wait 30 days. If in that 30 days, the DA, the, law, the, the police, or any independent body like the federal government finds some kind of wrongdoing, you better believe that name will be out there. But within, the 20, uh, within that, that 30 days, that officer's name should not be released to a horde of angry protesters. There were protests at the home of Officer Ryan Pownall. Did it cross the line? No. He crossed the line when he shot David Jones in the back. That was the second line he crossed. The first line he crossed was when he shot Carnell Williams Carney in his back in 2010. Nobody had a gun in his face. No, His life wasn't threatened. So we do not care about officers who kill people, assault people, that be able to stay in their home and be comfortable because these families are not comfortable. I need to address Mr. Mans. I didn't agree with them being out there, and I'm with you, but I understand black men and women getting shot in the back. At some point, people are frustrated, and they're angry. And if you are a cop that don't have a history and your name is released, then the investigation goes on. The name does not stop the investigation. I, I, I think that there's a lot of oversight these cops already have. If something comes out, I'm with both of you. I think that person who tarnished that shield needs to be dealt with. There is a time and a place for a protest, and the First Amendment is absolutely needed. What I'm saying is forget your beliefs on what that officer's family does or does not deserve. How about the neighbors in that community who had to deal with the racial and curse word barrages that night? Well, well, Did let me they say cross this. the line? Yeah, Did they cross this, the line he, he, in a residential neighborhood? No, I was on the block. His neighbors came to us with the ignorance, with the calling names. We called nobody. We seen Officer Powell now when we came up. None of us said anything to him. This was a residential neighborhood. Right. They had nothing to do with the shooting. Is it fair to say that they could be pissed off that y'all are in their neighborhood? Absolutely they can be pissed off, but we don't care. Because let me explain something to you. Just in July, 100 white people protested in front of a white man's house because he allegedly killed two of his neighbors on James Street in Frankfurt. They even put a banner on top of the man's house. I have yet to see anyone call them rabid animals or say they were wrong. Okay, and let's just talk about this because you mentioned, Ben, you mentioned... Police um, this, are not above the law. Isaac, you're part of the Justice for David Jones Coalition. Absolutely. How did the release of the names help your organization pressure, I guess... City government, DA, state government. It helped a lot because we had his name. We know who he is. We found that he has over 10 complaints of battleizing and brutalizing black and brown people. This is all Ryan Powell now. He's a racist killer cop that kills black men, shoots him in the back. This is the same. Ross laid it out. You didn't have to shoot that man in his back. You've seen the video. There's no assumption of what happened. We're not guessing. You've seen the video. Let me just jump in here because this is not the first bill in 2015 that had passed through the House. It was also backed by the Fraternal Order of Police. It was House Bill 1538. And that bill, which was ultimately 
vetoed by Governor Tom Wolf, prevented the release of police officer names while the investigation was ongoing. Right, right. And so that would have been a much longer time period for you, Rochelle. And this is for you, Isaac. Is there a period of time that would allow it? I don't to have a problem with the thirty days. I don't have a problem with the sixty days. We did the protest after thirty days. After sixty, so days. your protest would have still happened exactly. even if it was released exactly. after thirty days. There's always a catch to to the situation. The man, you know this. We say or 30 until, days or you until say, the investigation. See, see, see that? That's, yeah. that's the catch, too. 30 days or until. There's been situations in, in law enforcement when people have sat for two years. What are we going to do with this catch in there? When you go 30 days or until, we're not being transparent. Yeah, Michelle brings we up a really these, good point. We can't have these catch situations going yeah, on. And then that, that, um, you're, agreeing, you're agreeing with Rochelle on this. Do police this, officers have any, do no, they have ridiculous. at least some rights to privacy on, on when they're hand, involved in a shooting? Isaac, go ahead. No, he's a cop. His job is to protect and serve, not shoot and kill. So why should we have to wait until investigation when people are seeing this on a video, even if it's not a video? They have some right to privacy, but they're public servants. Exactly. This is not to condemn all cops. It's not. I was a police officer 27 years. I liked my right. job. I liked some of the people that I worked with. Exactly. And I dealt with racism in that institution and still deal with it today. And so this hearing is coming up later this month. What do you think the judge should do? Stick to what Ramsey put in play. The family needs to know what's going on. If I kill somebody, their family going to know who I am that night. And what's your thought on this, Rochelle? You're talking about 72 hours and 30 days. Whatever works for me. But you're not going to keep their name hidden for two years, which that can happen under that catch clause. And so, Ben? I think the judge will ultimately go by what the law says in this particular hearing. Final word, 15 seconds. I know all police officers aren't bad. I'm talking about one specific cop, Ryan Powell now who has a history of shooting black men in the back. We have to build this relationship between us and the community. People are angry. They are upset. And we got to heal this because we all got to live here together. Final word, Ben. We must pass Pennsylvania House Bill 27. We must put on paper in the law what is and is not acceptable in releasing these officers' names so that the justice can be done and investigations can be conducted fairly. Thank you all for discussing this Flashpoint in the News. Next up, our newsmaker of the week tracks down killers in Philadelphia. They follow every lead. They work every angle they can work. An inside look at Philadelphia Police Department's homicide unit and the new captain leading it all. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Our newsmaker of the week is making headlines as the new head of the Philadelphia Police Department's homicide unit. And within just a few weeks, his detectives have been busy dealing with multiple high-profile murders. I'd like to invite Captain John Ryan to the KYW studios. Welcome. Thank you. Now, you took on the role as chief of the homicide unit in July. What has it been like thus far? Oh, we've been quite busy. We're pretty much busy all the time there. It's a little slower in the wintertime. You get a chance to try to catch up. But the summertime is the height of, uh, of the season, so to speak. We've seen you on television over the past few days. What has it been like for you kind of being thrust to the forefront this way? Oh, it's a real honor to work with Fourth Lawrence Homicide Unit in the country. All the top detectives in the city are there. They do some very important work. Tell us about the homicide unit. How many people work there? Well, we have 
three what we call line squads that work around the clock and on shift work. And then we have a special investigations unit in the area of around 70 detectives, give or take. I want to have you describe how it works. People here on the news, you know, somebody's been killed. How does it go through the homicide unit? Oh, we get a notification from the street in most cases where, you know, the officer out on patrol, they find that someone's been killed and they make a notification to the homicide unit. And there's a number of different things that we do. We respond to the scene and start looking for witnesses in campus in the neighborhood, help the crime scene unit responds and processes the crime scene. People go to the hospital. Detectives have to interview uh, the family members, uh, get information on who did the homicide and try to follow up with that. And then the first like two to four days is the most cris- critical uh, point of any homicide investigation as far as uh, following your leads and bringing the case in. Recently, we had two very high-profile cases, one in the Fairmount, the father, shot and killed in front of his two-year-old. You had another situation where a Temple student, the suspect, was found pretty quickly. Do you and your team take it personal when you're searching? Every single member of the homicide takes every single homicide, not personally, but professionally, to heart. They follow every lead. They work every angle they can work. They're bringing in because every single one's important. Even some guys will say, ah, well, it's a drug dealer killing another drug dealer. Not in the unit, but if you don't get that drug dealer that just killed another drug dealer, well, in two weeks' time, he'll be shooting at another drug dealer, no doubt, and he's going to kill somebody else's 10-year-old child, regardless of who the victim is. The main thing is to get the killers off the streets. Philadelphia, as of September 12, reported 215 homicides. One of the things that people have been talking about in the news is the clearance rate of the homicide department. Could you explain what the clearance rate is? A clearance happens in a number of different ways. Uh, it's when you arrest the person who uh, did the killing. When the person who did the killing is proved to, to have done the killing, but he was also killed himself. Also, uh, some cases are judged to be self-defense or justifiable. That all makes up what's called the clearance rate. Philadelphia's clearance rate has been half of the cases have been resolved in that way? A um, little, little less than that. We're hoping to get it up a little higher. Yeah. What are the challenges? A lot of the murders happen in neighborhoods that face a lot of challenges with poverty and crime. And a lot of the witnesses are reluctant to come forward. Yeah. How did being a Philadelphian, growing up where you grew up, the way you grew up, help create uh, was, the person was, that you are today? I was, I was born and raised in the city. Uh, we went to Cardinal Doherty High School, commuter to Temple. I, mean, I worked at Sears uh, in the warehouse on the boulevard 30 hours a week while I was going to Temple. Spent my time in the Marine Corps Reserve. We were on active duty for the first Gulf War. And I still live in the city today, and I still plan to live in the city. Yeah. you were. Uh, I was a captain of the 6th prior to this assignment. I was... Probably the best place I think I've ever worked. And I worked some good places. It's just the diversity of Center City is amazing. We had some areas in the six that were beset by poverty, and they had those challenges that, that come with uh, poverty. And we had extreme wealth of Society Hill, and then we had the club atmosphere, and a lot of the young people coming through. We had Chinatown, which is basically uh, filled with immigrants, newly into the country, trying to make their own way, trying to make a success out of themselves, working hard. And then we had the Gaberhood, which is a wonderful place. A uh, very accepting uh, community, very uh, vibrant, and very pro-law enforcement. Yeah. Do you have advice for victims? How do you deal with the victims? It's terrible even hearing the family members inside the unit. They're getting a notification the first time that their loved one had passed away, and you can hear them crying. Uh, my heart goes out to them. Even sometimes in the bad people that get, that get themselves killed, they still leave children and loved ones behind and mothers. It's all very, uh, it's a very bad impact. You said a lot of times the clearance rate is directly impacted by the Lack of witnesses that come some cases. Well, some cases there's a lot. There's people reluctant to cooperate. That's one of the challenges to get to reach out to the community. And the commissioner is very big in building bridges with the community, improving the department stature within the community, 
and building connections and relationships, and not just like short-term relationships. You need the long-term relationships to get people to trust the police department, that we can protect them, we can help them, we can relocate them, yeah. you know, and we can effectively police the neighborhoods so that people feel safe. The city had offered a reward? Well, there's up to $20,000 that's available to anyone that bears witness against someone or gives information that leads to arrest and conviction of someone for a homicide. Wonderful. Well, I wish you luck in your new role. Uh, you are very, I, I will say your demeanor is extremely calm, <laughs> which I think is a great thing for someone who has to run the homicide uh, division here in Philadelphia. So thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Next up, we'll highlight our change maker of the week, a Chester County woman who believes knowledge is power. Ranges from uninvolvement to actual danger. The problem she's hoping to solve and who her fundraising efforts will benefit coming up. But first, a break, then traffic. This is Flashpoint, and we at KYW are all about community, and this week, it's all about preventing financial abuse. Christine P. Hennigan is a finance guru who is hosting a fireside chat to benefit a Chester County domestic violence group. In the process, she's hoping to give women the knowledge that will empower them. Christine, welcome to the KYW studios. Sherry, thank you for having me here. Wonderful. So explain what the fireside chat, Knowledge is Power, event is. I work with women and see on a daily basis the vulnerability that they have by not being involved in their finances. So this program is to advocate for women and to build awareness about financial knowledge in the marital affairs. So let's back up a bit. You're a financial planner. Yes. And you work with women. And what did you find? What did you see? My practice is varied because I have two separate practices. So for 28 years, I've been a financial planner, primarily working with divorced and widowed females. And then on the financial divorce side, I have my own company for the last 18 years called Divorce Wealth Strategies, and I'm a financial divorce analyst. But in both of the practices, what I'm finding on a regular basis is that Women are not involved nine times out of 10 in the financial matters of the household. What are you seeing? What's the result of that? I'm seeing women who are going through a divorce and they're, they're not aware of how much they're worth. Therefore, their spouse can hide money. We're seeing circumstances where the aftermath of a divorce is leading to loss of money because they don't understand the portfolio that their husband had set up and now mirrors what they have now. Uh, we're seeing financial domestic abuse where Money control is is driving whether these women can even leave their marriages. It ranges from uninvolvement to, to actual danger because a lot of these women who are being victims of domestic abuse can't leave their situations because of financial domestic abuse. Wow. So this is something that is so unnecessary and so easy to, to correct. Right? And so give a couple tips, little things women can do. I say to women all the time who are apologetic about not being involved in the finances, it's normal for us to divide duties. And I also tell these women that it's not a, an intelligence factor. It's a time and division of duties factor. Even if they think that they're in the happiest of marriages, he could pass away. How do you start that conversation if you've been married for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and you haven't taken any interest and then all of a sudden not only do you want to know on a on a global level 
what's going on, but you actually want to know specifics of the accounts. So that's part of what we'll talk about. Yeah, and I understand you have a lot of passion around this issue. Why? I think it's because of all of the stories that I hear from women after it's too late and see what they've been victims of. I just think it's so unnecessary. Yeah, one knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. I love that. People can come out. Where can they get tickets and go? We have a website link, christinephennigan.com. Women can come enjoy a cocktail, an hors d'oeuvre. Tracy and I are going to sit down and have a hour-long candid conversation about what women need to know about their finances. And then 100% of the proceeds from the event are going to benefit the Domestic Violence Center of Chester County. Fireside Chat Knowledge is Power takes place October 10th at the Concord Country Club. Thank you so much, Christine, for being here. Thank you. Well, that's it for Flashpoint. Follow KYW News Radio on Twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag Flashpoint. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. I'll be monitoring the tweets. In the meantime, if there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. To quote Bono, the worst disease in the world today is corruption. There is a cure, transparency. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.